Hi everyone, Miguel Escobar from Episcopal Divinity School at Union. Dean Kelly Brown Douglas sat down with Bishop Jeff Lee, the 12th Bishop of the Diocese of Chicago, while he was on campus last month for EDS at Union's convocation. Bishop Lee shares his experience serving as the leader of the Diocese of Chicago, which faces daily challenges around issues such as gun violence, the opioid epidemic, and a growing population of young people who are finding spirituality in institutions outside of the church. They talk about his critical work of bringing people and communities together and his vision for the future of the Episcopal Church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread the word by sharing this episode with your friends. And with that, here is Dean Douglas. Enjoy the show. Today, I have joining me Bishop Jeffrey Lee, Bishop of the Diocese of Chicago, and we are very privileged to have him here with us. Thank you, uh, Bishop Lee. I'm delighted to be here. Being with us. I want to jump right in to this conversation. Uh, We are having a series of conversations here at EDS regarding issues of the church, social justice, and the movement toward a just earth. So I want to ask you, you are the pastoral and spiritual leader of a diocese, and of course, you have particular responsibilities to your priest and your churches. At the same time, you are the bishop of a diocese in which the unholy trinity is uh, the bishops united, and you like to say, of guns, poverty, and racism, play themselves out yep. uh, on the streets of your diocese every day. Yep. Indeed, just this past weekend in Chicago, within 24 hours, 23 persons were wounded by gunfire, and three were killed. So I wanted to ask you, what does it mean for you to be bishop in such a diocese as that, and in that context? Mm-hmm. Gosh, the role of bishop is um, is multi-layered. Um, I like to think of it uh, in uh, terms of you could you could some people talk about being on the balcony. I like to use a, a helicopter. The word episcope. Um, as I understand in the New Testament, uh, it appears a lot, but it can mean rather different things depending on uh, context. Uh, technically, it means to see ev- everything to, mm-hmm. or to see intently, mm-hmm. episcope, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it can also mean, depending on the context, to see that hmm. X, Y, or Z happens. It's about mm-hmm. agency. And so I think of the role of bishop as being constantly sort of getting up above mm-hmm. uh, the landscape so you can see it all but for the sake of knowing where to land. Mm. And so there are lots of places to land, lots of places mm-hmm. that need attention, lots of hurting places. And I think that landing is about calling to the church's attention critical issues that, that need addressing. It's about gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about uh, pointing to and, and unveiling and mm-hmm. revealing so mm-hmm. that other people can see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the great challenge in a city like Chicago, we are... Uh, Op-eds are full of this, and it's true on the national stage too, isn't it? Um, is the, the great danger of becoming numb, yep. or um, uh, the onslaught is so persistent, the violence is so, is every day, mm-hmm. and it it's I think probably um, an aspect of self-preservation to sort of wall yourself off from it, and I think the bishop's job is to is to not let that happen. Um, is to keep it alive in front of people. We, there, there is no single answer to this problem. Right. 
And the thing that's terrifying to me, uh, uh, perhaps the saddest thing, uh, or the most alarming thing, is that Chicago is certainly in, um, in the public spotlight about this issue, and justifiably so. But on a, on a per capita basis, we're far from the worst. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you don't have, you aren't the, uh, don't have the highest crime rates or homicide rates, which is in and of itself quite a frightening uh, reality. And, and of course, it's not unique to us, but, right. but the shame, uh, uh, speaking of the unholy trinity, is how um, uh, concentrated mm -hmm. violence is in communities of color right. within the city of Chicago. And then, of course, uh, my diocese extends way beyond mm -hmm. uh, the metropolitan area, and uh, um, I think these things are not are not uh, isolated from one another. The epidemic of opioid addiction mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. uh, suicide in small towns mm -hmm. uh, in the Illinois countryside, I think it's all uh, of a piece. Mm -hmm. Violence is showing up in uh, so many ways, and it has to do with our isolation mm -hmm. from one another, I mm -hmm. think. Let me... Let me go back and I want to come back to this yeah. thing of Holy Trinity in a moment but unholy Trinity yeah. but let me come back to what you said in terms of being a bishop and seeing mm. and knowing where to land yeah what difference does it make I'm always struck by the fact that we are a faith tradition yeah. uh, with an incarnation at its center but also our central symbol is a crucified savior. Mm. What difference does it make when you talk about where to land? Mm. What difference does the cross make? Mm. Mm. The cross is invincible. Um, there is no place we can land. There is no place we can go. No depth of despair, no mm -hmm. depravity, no violence that, that God does not know about from the inside out. Mm -hmm. That's the difference it makes for me. It, it's the courage uh, and the conviction to go to places uh, of, of that kind of agony, mm -hmm. uh, knowing that there is no... Uh, there is no easy answer, no way around those things. I love this line from uh, my friends in the uh, 12-step uh, recovery processes. There is no way around. There is a way through. Mm -hmm. There is a way through. And we have to begin that journey through this terror mm -hmm. by simply by not avoiding it, by recognizing the cross shows up. The, the crucifixion is not over. Right. The crucifixion goes on. Um, and uh, the Paschal mystery... To use that that theological lingo is is simply the admission I think the the re, of the reality of, of uh, that the shape of creation is death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, there is another side. There is another side, and one can't hold that out glibly. <laughs> the cross. You you can't have resurrection without without the crucifixion right, right. part. Um, it will show up, and but. When we talk about we talk about in our church, our presiding bishop yeah. uh, is calling us all back into the Jesus movement. Yep. The, one of the jokes, of course, that non-Episcopalians often ask me is, "So the Jesus movement? Where were you guys before?" <laughs> uh, and so, but what does it mean? We're talking about the Jesus movement. We're talking about a Jesus who ended up crucified, yes. who moved 
toward the cross. And mm-hmm. so my question becomes, where would Jesus be moving today? Yeah. If, we, if he were in Chicago, yeah. and we're talking about, just as you mentioned, we're talking about a city where over 50% of gun-related homicides in your city occur in the poorest neighborhoods mm-hmm. in Chicago, mm-hmm. to, which are, as you've also suggested, very racially segregated. So where, where would Jesus mm-hmm. be moving? Mm-hmm. In whose face can we see Jesus? Mm-hmm. Where are these crucified realities? Even as you uh, ask that question, Kelly, I, the, I've got a picture in, in my head of the corner of uh, Lake and Central in mm. a neighborhood called Austin, uh, which is one of the most violent neighborhoods. And we have a parish there, St. Martin's, that's m- making a, a profound difference by simply getting out on the streets, by simply camping out at that street corner uh, in partnership with the Chicago Police Department. Mm-hmm. That's a fraught relationship, mm-hmm. uh, but they are building relationships. I, it's, it's, I have no doubt that Jesus isn't there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that seemed most obvious to me. I, um, people willing to put their, themselves out uh, to land <laughs> right. publicly right. on a street corner uh, right. and make a difference. And, mm-hmm. and, and the viol- violence rates in that neighborhood, not surprising to me, have gone down. Hmm. Um, because of a refusal to hide, a refusal to practice the kind of isolation that violence wants That's to right. impose upon mm-hmm. us. Uh, knowing full well it's, it's not safe. <laughs> it's not always safe uh, to be out there, but out of a conviction that uh, that's what Christ is calling mm-hmm. that community to do, to reclaim its neighborhood. Yeah, hearing you tell that story reminds me of something that one of your colleagues, Bishop Marianne Buddy, uh, said to me recently, and she said, where faith, the faith community shows up, mm. transformation happens, mm-hmm. uh, even when you don't know what the end will be. And it sounds to me like in that situation, the faith community showed up mm-hmm. and transformation happens. I want to shift gears a little bit with you, Bishop Lee. And we hear often, and we, according to the Pew studies, most recent Pew studies on the landscape of religion in America, that a quarter of Americans suggest that they are spiritual but not religious, yep. with a large percentage of those being the 18 to 34-year-old millennial mm-hmm. cohort. Mm-hmm. What does this mean to you when you hear spiritual and not religious? And what does it mean for the Episcopal Church when you have that many folk talking about their spiritual but not religious? I, I, you know, I've been part of a research project <clears throat> that a couple of Harvard Divinity School folks are doing um, in conjunction with the Fetzer Foundation and yeah. now On Being. And the, the project brings together, it's about bringing together the folks that the, these researchers are calling the spiritual entrepreneurs in our society, hmm. Soul Cycle, CrossFit, Pop Up Shabbat, all, you know these these movements, right. meaning making community right. is is rising up to bring into dialogue those folks with traditional religious hmm. people, and I would be one of those, right? Yeah. Uh, it is a fascinating conversation in many many ways, and one of the most striking pieces of research was asking a cohort of the, the sort of spiritual but not religious right. what they think they might want from or be able to use from the traditional religious community. Mm-hmm. And you know what the number one answer was? It yeah. floored everyone. <laughs> Authorization. Oh my, meaning? Well, that was my question. Right. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and it, that authorization was a word that often came up, but it right. didn't mean pr- like we're looking for you to you for permission to yeah, do what for we validity, do. Yeah, right. Really, and this was a, uh, one of the researchers is a, a guy named Casper Turkile, uh, 
Hmm. And I was having a conversation with him just a few days ago, and he said, actually, we've discovered what that word really means is blessing. Mm. They're looking to be blessed. They're looking to know that, that the kind of community that's emerging in places like Soul Cycle and Yoga Studios right, right. is holy. Hmm. And there was a fascinating conversation uh, at a gathering in Austin between two rabbis. Turns out, who knew, a lot of leadership uh, in some of these entrepreneurial spiritual communities are uh, young uh, Jewish folk. Hmm. And so, uh, and apparently a lot of uh, institutional Judaism is in um, serious institutional stress, like right. a lot of mainline like, Christianity. Right. Uh, and the conversation was between a retired rabbi and a young, uh, younger rabbi, and, and we were watching it, the rest of us in the room were watching this uh, and making our own notes to ourselves. And the elder rabbi said to his young counterpart, he said, you know, these are our children, they're our best and brightest, and we brought them up to value Mm-hmm. spirituality and meaning-making community and making a difference in the world, and they're doing it. And he said, you and I, two rabbis speaking to mm-hmm. each other, he said, you and I have to decide whether we're in the business of preserving a certain kind of institutional Judaism right. or changing the world. Right. Ah, yeah. I like that because I've heard that spiritual but not religious as a critique of religious institutions. Yeah. I don't hear it that way, huh. exactly. Um, but I do think religious institutions have to come to terms with the fact that we do not own God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and to find what it is. I mean, uh, Gregory the Great, when he sent Augustine to, to England, the, the legend is, he said, baptize what you can. Right. Baptize what right. you find. Right. Uh, we should pay attention. The Holy Spirit is not our possession. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think she's alive and well in the world. Thank you very much. With us or without <laughs> with, us. With or without us. It's, it's this line um, that we hear, I hear so often and, and has affected me deeply. Um, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. Mm. Um, I say to Episcopalians all the time, you know, the good news, part of the good news is God does not need the Episcopal church. Yeah. That's intentionally provocative to a group of card-carrying Episcopalians, but I believe it's true. The, the reign of God doesn't depend on us. So then that leads me to ask you, given... <laughs> Changing demographics, yeah. given uh, the reality of those who uh, find their meaning and spiritual meaning outside of the church, etc. Yeah. Given the demographics of the our Episcopal Church, hmm. where do you see the Episcopal Church in the next five to ten years? Mm-hmm. What is the state of our health? Yeah, we're we're uh, it's under. Siege, and that's too—that's not quite the right way to put it. Under, uh, we're suffering significant institutional stress. Having said that, I believe what a friend of mine said, a, a priest named Charles Lafond, uh, who's a very interesting guy, said, uh, "The Episcopal Church is not dying; it's molting." <laughs> Pretty seriously molding. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, in, in my visitation to 130 faith communities in, you know, in a diocese in the middle of the country, the people I find over and over and over again on, on a Sunday morning in a traditional Episcopal church mm-hmm. are there on purpose. Hmm. I think what we're molting is casual members. Mm. Um, the kind of world that uh, that created much of what we assume the Episcopal church means. It, right. You know, that it was a social affiliative, you know, um, and, and God help us often, you know, at the top of a privileged heap, mm-hmm. at least in this country. And so, to, you know, if you wanted to get ahead, yeah. uh, you, you became an Episcopalian. That world is over, blessedly, I think. Uh, and 
the riches at the heart of our tradition. Um, I think we have a way of presenting the gospel that uh, a lot of that startles a lot of the yeah, spiritual, but, but not religious. Um, I, I have this conversation with some regularity uh, in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, I sat at a, a table with people who were being ready to be received formally into the Episcopal Church, and there was a young lesbian couple, both of whom had been brutalized by hmm. other forms of, of Christianity, and said to me, and I hear this not infrequently, said to me, we were on our way out of Christianity until we stopped here. Hmm. We didn't know you could be Christian like this. Mm. I think that's good news, and it's not something we, we need to sort of pat ourselves on the back right. about, but we do need to recover our nerve about um, the way we have to present this mighty good news that yeah. Christ has triumphed over death. Yeah. There's no better new, there is no better news in a world that's bent on suicide. There is no better news. Yeah, so... I will end by asking, so how do we do that? Hmm. You know, how do we do that? Particularly with uh, a church, Episcopalians don't like to talk about the good news uh, outside of the four walls of the yeah, church, yeah. right? So We need to get over that. <laughs> yeah, so what does, that's right. But what does that mean? What form then does evangelism take? Hmm. What does that mean? And I uh, heard you say yesterday, it's not about knocking on the door and saying, I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't get an Episcopalian to do that anyway. So what does evangelism look like? Hmm. There's, a, there's a promise in uh, uh, our baptismal covenant that uh, where I was talking about that yesterday will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ and I always like to say that's a question of being the how can you be yes. the good news first yeah. of all you got to figure out who needs to hear some mm-hmm. um, second of all I guess you've got to figure out so what is that good news um, and what does it mean on a corner in Austin uh, uh, the neighborhood of Austin in Chicago mm-hmm. what does it mean to be the good news mm. on that corner um, I think it means putting our bodies yeah. our hearts and souls yeah. on the line yeah for people who are victims. Mm -hmm. The death and resurrection of Jesus has rendered all victimization illegal (laughs) Mm. in the heart of God. I like uh, that, yeah. yeah, uh, No more victims. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that sounds, I guess, it can sound high in the sky and wishful thinking and oh, you Christians, but we know better. We have the witness of the martyrs and saints of every age who have put themselves on the line. I, I remember visiting, I had a, we had a companion relationship in El Salvador in the a parish I served, and I got to visit Romero's uh, grave for the first time. I will never forget it. Hmm. Uh, there, he, there he is, lying in state. There's an effigy underneath that glittering cathedral, uh, uh, the work on which he stopped because he was so scandalized by that uh, monument and yeah. the lives of the poor. Salvador, but there he is, and uh, the the effigy lies there. It's in bronze, and he's recognizable. But in the chest uh, of the figure is this jagged cross-shaped rift, and in the middle of that of that cross, uh, an undressed red stone. Hmm. And uh, I remember being moved. A prayer sort of came to me when I saw this, surrounded by kids from my, my suburban parish in Seattle. Um, the prayer was, please, please give us a heart like that. Hmm. Uh, one that's willing to go to the wall right, right. for the least and the lost and the neglected and the victims. Will you bring us back full circle? 
Bishop Lee in this mm -hmm. conversation, and I thank you. And I think uh, that's what it means, right, to be an incarnate faith tradition, mm -hmm. that we have to put our bodies yes. where our theology is, if you will, and that's what the gospel is. Thank you for this conversation. I'm delighted to have it. Thank you for your work here. Uh, well, Kelly, I, I, pray. <laughs> I pray for the flourishing of this, of well, this ministry. Thank you.